hi everyone. Uh, my name is Bobby Butcher. I'm a managing associate in the banking team at Linklaters, uh, and I'm joined today by Edward Chan, who's a partner uh, in the banking team as well. Uh, this is the latest in our podcast series on ESG and finance. Um, and today we're really taking a step back and asking why finance is in the spotlight. It's obviously very big at the moment in the media, um, how regulators are responding uh, and what that really means for banks and for the allocation of capital. And today we're really focusing on the E of ESG, so really looking at that environmental piece. So Ed, you know, finance really is in the spotlight at the moment when it comes to ESG and in particular the environmental side of things. Um, you know, why is that? Bobby, I suspect that's probably because when you look at the global policy agenda uh, as uh, regards climate, it's very ambitious. Um, so all the um, targets towards net zero or however you phrase the climate objectives, um, a lot really needs to be done in order to reconfigure um, economies uh, in that direction. And, and what you are beginning to see is uh, a recognition by policymakers that finance is actually um, a key tool in this transition um, because um, getting to that sustainable future hinges largely on a financial sector that is able to allocate capital um, in a way that supports um, uh, that energy transition. I suppose in just quite simple terms, um, yeah, lending decisions do go a very long way to determine what our economies look like. Um, and in order to um, get to net zero or carbon neutrality, um, what is required is um, a real change in the way capital is allocated uh, away from carbon intensive industries um, towards um, uh, more um, sustainable uh, sort of users. And in all of this, banks will have a big role to play. Mm. And, you know, that all makes sense. And uh, presume, are there risks to banks, obviously, that sort of come out of this process? Yeah, and, and I suppose they break it down into two categories. You either have the actual physical risks. So these are the risks that could impact a bank's balance sheet today as a result of some form of climate change. And I, I think the best example would be, you know, banks typically have um, security over property. And if there's a risk of flooding, um, brought about by changes in the sea level. You can sort of see that um, a lot of that uh, real estate collateral um, may, um, may be a sort of physical risk that banks uh, ought to look out for. In addition to those risks, you also have transition risks, which is um, as we transition to a greener economy, uh, banks um, by lending to uh, less carbon intensive industries, um, Perhaps by some of the metrics uh, that we adopt today, those industries may be deemed to be less creditworthy. So as a result, if the direction of lending is towards um, new technologies, greener technologies, perhaps there's also some risks associated with that transition. Um, and, and Bobby, just uh, to ask you um, a, a question in return, You've been spending a lot of time looking at um, how regulators um, have been um, reacting to, um, uh, to, to this issue. Can you tell us a bit about what you're seeing? 
Yeah, thanks, Ed. So, I mean, from a regulatory perspective, this has really crept up the agenda or, or maybe sort of shot up the agenda over the last few years. Um, and that's, you know, both in the UK and, you know, more broadly in the EU. Um, I think the sort of first thing to note really, you know, looking at it from a UK perspective is that, you know, the Bank of England is approaching this from a financial stability perspective, you know, so they are concerned about the types of risks that you just mentioned. So transition risks, physical risks, and what that means for the, you know, safety and soundness of British banks. Um, and you see a similar concern, obviously, at, at an EU level. And, and that makes sense. You know, that's what these institutions are mandated to do to look after the safety and soundness of, of these institutions. Um, so they're not at the stage yet of, and not really within their powers to sort of say, you know, you must lend to this type of industry or you can't lend to that type of industry. <clears throat> but what they're really asking banks to start think about, start to think about is, you know, how do these physical and transition risks um, affect their balance sheets and, you know, really to embed climate risk management into, you know, various parts of the business. And I think most notably, we had a supervisory statement that the Bank of England put out in April 2019, seems a long time ago now, um, that really set out its expectations for how firms should manage the financial risks that come out of climate change. And they concentrated on four pillars. So governance, risk management, scenario analysis and disclosure and they backed that up with a dear ceo letter in the summer of last year which really sort of turned up the heat and and asked banks to make sure that they'd embedded those expectations in the original supervisory statement um, by the end of this year 2021 so actually there's a, a lot going on at the moment there's expectations that have been set there's a timeline for embedding those expectations into processes uh, and that's obviously what a number of our bank clients are are doing at the moment Bobby, Bobby, that's all um, sort of very useful. Um, I, I just wonder whether you can give us a sense as to how um, these expectations have been received and, and what the sort of reaction seems to be. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really interesting question because obviously this is all quite new and there's a balancing act between, you know, the regulators trying to further their policy uh, agenda um, but also being sort of humble in recognizing that obviously there's a lot of uncertainty around financial risk associated with climate change. You know, we have these models around what um, the, the weather systems and our climate is going to look like in 20, 30 years. Um, but obviously, you know, there's a degree of uncertainty associated with that. And then if you overlay, you know, credit models and capital models, which themselves have, you know, uncertainty built into them, then, you know, I think there's a real expectation from the um, industry that you know we need to be a bit humble uh, about the way that we approach this and i think generally the perception is that the pra has actually done and the bank of england have actually done a, a, a good job here in that they've they've adopted a gradualist approach um they're not um sort of being overly demanding i'd say in terms of um uh, expecting a, a particularly kind of rigid approach from from banks when they approach these issues uh, and you know if you read the papers that they've put out they sort of recognize that there are these inherent issues with uh, with forecasting the impact of, of climate change I think the other thing I'd say that's been well received is a real emphasis on proportionality um, so uh, you know it's clear from the statements that the regulator has made that they're expecting you know the big firms to do the most when it comes to embedding these processes uh, into um, into you know the ordinary course of business, when it comes to disclosure, 
um, looking at things like TCFD disclosure as well. Um, and obviously, you know, for smaller firms, there's also a role for them to play, but, you know, that should be in proportion to the scale of their activities. And I think that's been, um, you know, very much well received again from, from industry. So, you know, I guess, you know, these are the things that the Bank of England is asking um, uh, banks to be doing at the moment. Um, but the Bank of England is also doing things itself. Um, and Ed, you've been looking at stress testing and uh, some of the activity in that realm. Uh, do you want to maybe speak a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so so this is a really interesting area. Um, so in the UK, the Bank of England is just about to uh, kick off um, the first of uh, its biannual climate stress tests. Um, so broadly speaking, um, this will cover um, the largest uh, UK banks, insurers, and building societies. Um, the precise um, scenarios to be tested will be released uh, in June, and the institutions involved will need to submit by September. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the results uh, will look like when they come out in the first quarter of next year. I mean, the intention um, behind this exercise is to test the business models of these firms in order to allow the Bank of England to assess uh, their resilience against um, various climate-related scenarios. Um, and, and I think the likelihood is that this is going to be um, a feature of life going forward. Uh, not to be outdone, um, there is a similar um, exercise being conducted by the ECB um, looking at um, uh, nearly so 2,000 banks in the Eurozone. So, so this similarly um, is uh, another ambitious exercise. And if you look at some of the headline numbers, um, potentially this is looking at 4 million sort of exposures that those banks have worldwide projected over uh, a 30-year uh, period into the future. And, and, and of course, there'll be challenges with uh, whether institutions have available data and how the tests are conducted. But I guess the important message is that the um, direction of travel is very clear, um, that regulators are very keen to understand um, whether um, financial institutions and their business models um, will stand up against um, these various uh, climate-related risks. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and no, it's very interesting. Uh, and I think, you know, taking a step back from all of these measures, I mean, what do you think this will mean for the allocation of capital, you know, going into the next 10, 20 years or so? So, Bobby, I suspect this comes back to um, the, well, at least in the UK context, to the PRA uh, supervisory statement that you mentioned, uh, because one of the expectations there uh, does indicate that banks need to embed climate risk into their risk management processes. Um, and in practice, uh, that will result in credit decisions and capital planning all needing to take into account um, you know, physical and transition risks that we discussed a bit earlier. I suppose the intention behind this is that ultimately, um, this will feed through to items such as how would you price a particular credit, um, and um, whether credit decision is made in a particular way. And, and also 
within an institution, how a bank chooses to allocate capital between different businesses and different portfolios. So all in all, um, this feels like a really significant change. Uh, and I think that partly explains why there has been so much focus on this, um, on, uh, on, on banks from both regulators, um, also from their shareholders and also from sort of activists. Um, I suppose we have been spending quite some time talking about banks. Um, Bobby, one of the interesting areas coming out of this will be, you know, what other finance providers will do, uh, particularly uh, where we look at um, exposures that are deemed to be more capital intensive. Uh, I know this is something that you've spent some time uh, thinking about, and I just wondered whether you might share some thoughts on this. Hmm. Yeah, thanks, Ed. I mean, I, I think with this, it's just interesting to see if there's a, a sort of par uh, a parallel with what we saw in the aftermath of the financial crisis. So, you know, if we go back to the aftermath of the financial crisis, we saw a big increase in the amount of capital that banks have to hold more generally. Um, and we saw a real uh, blossoming of the non-bank lending sector. Um, because they were not subject to such strict capital requirements and you know often that enabled those institutions to be involved in deals that banks were you know having to pass on and it will just be interesting to see with you know this focus on climate risk management whether the implications of this for banks and the implications that has on their credit decisions on their pricing on whether they choose to be involved in a particular deal or not means that actually there's a shift um of risk into the non-bank sector for example um and whether you know those assets that are more carbon intensive end up being financed outside the um outside the sort of regulated bank sector so you know that will be something just to keep an eye on over the next sort of 10 15 years or so uh so bobby that's that's quite a lot of food for thought um particularly um in the area that we practice in um that brings us to the end of this podcast. Um, we hope that um, you've enjoyed uh, listening to the session. Um, if you have any queries, please do uh, get in touch with your usual Linklater's contact. And we have a lot more materials um, that will be accessible on the website. But thank you very much, everyone, for joining us.